Lord, I thank you for each of the men here this morning, especially the fathers among us. I thank you for my own father and the great example he set for me. I thank you for his sense of humor and his great faith. Thank you for my grandfather for whom I'm named and for his legacy. And I thank you for other men who, through their example, taught me what it was to be a man. Thank you for all the fathers who've been godly role models. I pray also for the men among us who did not have that godly role model and are challenged by strained relationships with their own father or have become completely disconnected. Father, I pray that you'd give them wisdom, a path for reconciliation, for healing. Lord, help us to be men who measure up, men who have a good reputation, who are morally pure, having the right priorities, not addicted, but self-disciplined, humble, selfless, generous, gentle, and peaceable. Amen. Good morning. You can have a seat. And happy Father's Day. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at Northwest. And dads, we are thankful for you. We're thankful for your influence on this church and the fact that oftentimes you are fathering and, and uh, shepherding. Well, I don't know if fathering is the right word in this context. You're shepherding and you're, uh, you're, <laughs> you're um, loving and caring for other kids in our community that aren't your own biological kids. And I know several of you men have had a huge influence on just loving my kids um, since we've been a part of this community. And that means a lot to, to me um, that my kids can grow up, not only seeing me as, as their dad, but seeing other godly fathers um, that, that walk with Jesus and that love their wives and their families. So we appreciate you this morning and, and every morning. It's the thing with Father's Day, with Mother's Day, uh, every, every day should be that. We should be honoring this, but I, I'm glad that we can <clears throat> take an opportunity to do that this morning. Um, last week, we uh, wrapped up Exodus chapter 14, and that was like the first big section in the book of Exodus that we kind of traveled through together. And next week, we are starting another one of our mini-series in um, our look at spiritual formation. What does it mean for us as followers of Jesus Christ to continue to follow Jesus in our lives? What does it mean for us to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did? And we're going to look specifically at the role that the Bible, the scriptures play in our discipleship to Jesus. This Sunday, our in-between Sunday, I wanted to take a, a moment here uh, to share with you something that I think is very important. Um, I think it should, hopefully, is going to be very helpful for you who are connected and involved in our church, and maybe even some of you who are, are, have been around this group of people, have been around this church for a little while, um, to give you some forms and to give you a context for why we do the things that we do. Um, Several years ago, I lived in South Carolina, and um, I would travel from where my parents lived in Ohio uh, back and forth uh, from South Carolina, and there was a section of road that I was coming out of West Virginia and into Virginia, and I was making kind of an interchange from one interstate to another interstate, and right at that interchange, up on a hill was this um, 
uh, church that sat kind of back up off of the interstate. And this church had this big, long brick wall out in front of it. And on that brick wall were these big white letters, the name of the church, you know, such and such Baptist church. And then underneath that was a a verse that was uh, taken from Proverbs chapter 29, a verse in the the Old King James that says, uh, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so if you can imagine the visual of this, it was like a church advert, uh, an unfortunate advertisement for the church, such and such Baptist church where the people, per- where there is no vision and the people perish. And obviously, that's not what they intended uh, to to advertise to the community. But I would laugh. It was like every time I would pass that, I would just look at that sign and I would be like, "That's that's classic." But. For those of us who have been involved in church for any length of time, if you've been around different churches, if you've navigated the church world, you can know that as funny as that is, that can also be a reality, that we can be churches where there is no vision, where people die, where people languish, where people just come and just kind of exist with no direction, Um, and Churches don't set out to do that. Uh, I don't know of a pastor who sets out to say, I want to create a church, an environment, a culture where people don't experience life and where people aren't moving in a good direction. This morning, I used this analogy several weeks back. This morning, I want to provide for us kind of a game reset. Uh, I want to get us on the same page this morning about the church, about the church, and specifically our church, Soma Church, Soma Northwest. And this is not a sales pitch this morning. It's not like a, hey, we're going to compare what we do here to other churches, and we're going to try to convince you that we do church the right way. That's not what this is at all. But I think I want to answer the question, how do we think, how should we think about the church. I think for a lot of us, the first thing that comes to our mind when we think about the church is what does the church do? What does the church do? We think about Sunday morning worship services. We think about ministry programs. We think about the music and the aesthetics and the outreach to the community and all of those things, when in reality, where we should start is not what the church does but what the church is. So that's where I want to begin this morning, and I want to look together with you this morning. I want to answer the question, who is the church? Who is the church? Because we have to know who we are. We have to know how we're supposed to exist in this time and in this place before we can ever make good decisions about what this looks like on Sunday morning, about what our missional community groups look like, our discipleship groups look like, what we do with our kids, how we engage our community. We have to know who we are. We have to know how God has positioned us in this time and in this place to live as the church before we can address any of those other things. So who or what is the church? It's not institutional forms. It's not ministry expressions. The church is made up of people. 
people who have been saved from sin and from death and brought into a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The church is made up of people saved from sin and death and who have been brought into a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is what we've been seeing in the book of Exodus, right? That God saved his people Israel out of a life of slavery in the land of Egypt, but he didn't save them out of slavery to just give them some ambiguous freedom just to live and do and exist in whatever way they saw fit. He saved them from slavery and he saved them to himself to a new life, and he gave them a new identity as his people. And for us as the church, that new identity is rooted and grounded in the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom, that life with God, under the rule of God, is offered to us by God here and now. That it's not something we have to wait for in some ethereal spiritual place, but it's real life with a real God in this time and in this place. And that that life is available to us, that we are able to experience it because of the cross, The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes life with God under the rule of God possible. And it's not through our effort. It's not through meeting some kind of standard that God has placed on us that we have to live up to. That life is offered to us by grace. God's free gift of grace. God's grace made available to, excuse me, to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So that is where we start. When we talk about who is the church, we start with the gospel. People, men and women, boys and girls, who have been saved from death, who have been saved from sin and brought into a new relationship and given a new identity by God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want to look at a few scripture passages with you here over the next few minutes. How does God talk about the church? How does God give us this identity? What is the identity that God has given us? And the first passage, and you can turn here, you can listen to me read these, whatever you choose. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter, writing to a group of Christians, he writes this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who is the church? The people of God. The people of God. People who have received God's mercy. People who have been set apart by God to be holy, to be different. People who Peter refers to here as priests, 
people who are working on behalf of God, who are bringing the message and the mercy of God in Jesus Christ to this world, to each other. We are God's chosen possession. Why this analogy? Why does Peter use this analogy? Because of our tendency to live as individual, autonomous, self-sufficient people. Making decisions that are good for our lives. Living in a way that's good for our family. Existing in this world on our own. Peter says, no. No. You are God's people. Your life is not your own life to do with it as you see fit. God has saved you from sin and death, but he has saved you to a certain kind of life and identity, an identity that is defined by being his. Who is the church? We are the people of God. Secondly, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 Verse 1, listen to these words. John writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Who is the church? We are the people of God. And here John says, we are the children of God. The children of God. The the relationship that God has saved us to, our new relationship with him, is not a business-like relationship. We're not business partners with God. We're not shareholders in some big corporate entity that we call the church. We are family. God has made us children. We have a father who loves us. And that love has been poured out and poured out and poured out on us. We are the church, the children of God, covered in the love of God. Why does John use this metaphor? Because we need a father. We need a father in this world who will love us, who will protect us, who will provide for us, who will care for us. Because this love and this new relationship that we have with God drives away fear. We do not have to live in this chaotic world, in this troubling world, in an existence that is fraught with all kinds of difficulties. We are not alone. But we have a father who loves us. We have a father who is with us and cares for us. And our lives are not marked by a father who sees us and is disappointed in us because we never measure up. But we are in a relationship with a God. When he sees us, he sees us in love. We talked about that a few weeks ago in uh, Exodus chapter 12. That when God saw his people... He saw the blood. He saw the blood. We are children of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus, his son. We are sons and daughters of God. Who is the church? We are the children of God. Next, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Listen to these words. Paul writes, Speaking the truth in love, 
we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Who is the church? We are the people of God. We are the children of God. And here Paul tells us that we are the body of Christ. The body of Christ. That just as our head and our body leads the way. Our head isn't going this way and our body's staying back here. Our body follows our head. It goes the direction that our head goes. In that same way, we are people that follow Jesus Christ, that collectively we are people who go in the direction that Jesus leads us. Each body part working in unison together to move in the same direction that our head is going, Jesus Christ. Why does Paul use this metaphor? Because we're disjointed. (laughs) We have the tendency to go a bunch of different directions because as individuals, we are always looking out for our own good. We're following our own agenda. We're looking out for our own interests. We're pursuing the things that we care about, and we're going a thousand different directions. We're in always in danger of only functioning with part of our body. And Paul says that when Jesus Christ, when we understand that Jesus Christ is the head and we are the body, that just as our physical body, all of our parts of our body move in unison as one to go in a certain direction that we as the church, as the body of Christ, are to be one, are to be united under our head, Jesus Christ, moving and working together in the direction that he is leading us. Who is the church? We are the people of God. We are children of God. We are the body of Christ. Now turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, this vision that John, that God gave John. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 8. Listen to what John writes here, what he saw. He says, I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen, John says, stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Who is the church? We are the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. And though we are a bride that is disfigured and marred by sin and the effects of sin and brokenness, we in Christ pursue cleanliness. 
We pursue what is good and what is pure and what is right. And we have the promise from God that Jesus Christ will continue to work in us, will continue to transform us, will continue to do the cleaning work that he has started, that he will continue to do this and bring us through to perfection one day when we see him face to face. And this metaphor reinforces the deep, deep love that Christ has for us. The deep, deep love and unity and oneness that we have with Jesus. And that's why we talk about husband and wife coming together as one flesh. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that this is Christ and the church. That our marriages reflect the deep oneness, the spiritual oneness that we as Christians have with Jesus Christ. Who is the church? We are the bride of Christ. And then lastly, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul again writes, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Who is the church? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence dwells with us, and God's presence dwells in us. We don't need to come here to experience God. We don't need to wear certain clothes or practice certain things to experience the presence of God. God's Spirit lives in you. God's Spirit lives in me. God's presence is always with us. And this metaphor is so helpful because it gets in us the reality that there is no divide between sacred and secular for the Christian. There is no divide between what is spiritual and what is not spiritual because we have the Spirit of God living in us. Everything we do, every place we do it is a spiritual act in a spiritual place. The Spirit of God, the presence of God is with us. All of these things, the church, the people of God, the children of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple of the Spirit, all of these things are rooted in the foundational truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And getting these truths in us is vital for our understanding of ourselves as people, but also our understanding of what it means to be a part of this spiritual community, this local church, the people of God. We're going to see this when we re-engage with Exodus in, in several weeks. The people of God for generations would gather together to remind themselves of their identity. They would hear the words of God read to them. They were listening to where they came from and how to keep on living as the people of God in that time and in that place, especially during uncertain times, especially when they were being challenged. Their identity and their very existence were under attack. So when we ask, what is the church? Who is the church? The answer isn't a building. 
The answer isn't a Sunday gathering or a particular ministry program. The answer is the church is made up of people who have been saved from sin and death and who have been brought into a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ and given a new identity by God. Nearly all of us in this room have experienced uh, adolescent years. And some of you parents in this room are getting ready to experience that a second time with your kids. And we all know that during those years, a great deal of our identity as human beings is formed, right? During those teen years, a great deal of who we believe ourselves to be is shaped and formed. That big existential question, who am I? We begin to ask ourselves that question because we're growing physically. We're experiencing sexual desires for the first time. We're faced with decisions about college and decisions about what we want to do with our lives and the careers that we pursue. And as adolescents begin to face those questions, they have to take all of the experiences that they've had and the characteristics of their childhood up to that point, and they have to begin to figure out how do those things integrate with my life and my experience right now. All of a sudden, they're faced with questions like, what do I believe in? Uh, Who am I going to affiliate with? What do I want to be when I grow up? All of these big questions that begin to get asked and they begin to engage with. They begin to move away from just imitating their parents. Move away from just going along with the flow that's been set out for them. And they begin to form and to shape their own thoughts and their own beliefs and figure out who am I? What kind of person am I going to believe to be? And we all recognize when these seasons of life happen. And we call these things identity crisis, right? Everybody goes through this at some point in their life. Jody and I worked with college students for a number of years, and we would see this up close and personal with so many 18 and 19-year-olds. They would come to college, and they would begin to engage with different things, things that they'd never faced before. And we would see that feeling of instability, that feeling and that, that existence of just being confused when faced with these questions and the experiences and the characteristics of their childhood and their life up to that point were starting to be challenged. And they were beginning to reexamine those things. We as a church are not left by God to navigate the uh, hormonal waters of being a young church here. We're not left by God to figure out who we are and figure out what it means to be us. God has already told us who we are. God has already given us an identity and said, this is who you are. He's told us who he is. He's told us how we are supposed to make sense of this world that we live in. These things that we just read have been true of every Christian in every time and in every place. So the question for us at Soma Church Soma Northwest, is how do we bring these truths that have been true of every Christian and every time and in every place, how do we take those truths and bring them to bear on this time? 
and on this place that we live in today. And so I want to spend the rest of our time with you this morning explaining what we call our theological vision. Our theological vision as a church. Simply put, simply put, why we do the things that we do the way that we do them. Why we do the things that we do as a church the way that we do them. And it begins with our mission. That we exist in this time and in this place to see the gospel change everything. We exist to see the gospel change everything. Our existence as a church community is driven by this mission. That people, that places, that systems in this city experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And that transforming power is directed to our whole person. It's not just a set of truths that we claim to believe, but that God's power is for all of our life, all of who we are, what we think about, the way that we feel, the choices that we make, the physical body that we have, the relationship system that we exist in. The gospel is to be transformative in all of those areas, not just in what we think, Not just in what we do, but in all of who we are. The gospel changes everything. And as the gospel transforms us as people, we become a transforming presence in the place that God has put us. That as God is doing the work in us to form us and to shape us into the identity that he's already given us, We take that and we live in a transforming way in this city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our family, in everything that we do. And we believe as a church that when we are faithful to that mission, that when everything that we are about comes back to the fact that we desire the gospel to change everything, We expect to see that transformative power manifested in very, very specific ways. We expect to see disciples made. We expect to see disciples made. People whose lives are characterized by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. That is our desire as a church. And we believe that when we are faithful to our mission Disciples will be made. We expect to see God's power manifested in the fact that leaders will be raised up out of this church. Leaders who are not a bunch of people who are just given titles and and positions, but that all of us in this room, all of us in our church community, that we are being raised up and equipped and empowered to influence one another for good to influence this city for good, to bring the message and the mercy of Jesus into every place that we go. We expect to see community develop, not the kind of community that we just get, give lip service to, not the kind of community that just makes us feel good all the time, but real, authentic, transparent community that we know people that we are in relationship with people, that we are friends with each other, that when somebody drops off the map for a month, two months, that somebody knows 
and somebody's connected there. When, the, when we go through a difficult time, that we have people in our lives, in this community, in this church here, that are holding us up, that are praying for us, that are serving us, that are, that are meeting needs that we have, that we are doing that for each other. We expect to see churches planted. Soma Church has three locations around the city, and we desire more. We want to be a church that plants more churches, not because we are a franchise and we just want to get our brand into more places in this city, but because we want to see the gospel change everything. We want to see the gospel go into different neighborhoods, go into different spaces that it's not currently in. And this is not some kind of competition with other churches, but this is what we believe God has called us to be, a church that doesn't just gather everybody and just say, come, let's just do this in one place in one certain way, but that we plant churches throughout this city, contextualized churches that bring the gospel into different places in the ways that connect, in the ways that make sense, that serve the real needs of that community. And we expect to see neighborhoods and we expect to see networks flourish. That, we ex- that the life that we experience with God and under the rule of God, that other people in this city get to experience that as well. That we leave our neighborhoods and our networks better than we found them. That we are people of peace that we are people of unity, that we are people who meet real needs in our community. At different times and in different seasons of our church, we expect to see these outcomes. We expect to see these things because we are being faithful to the mission that God has given us to see the gospel change everything. By God's grace, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to spend money on anything. We're not going to devote any time to things that could potentially, humanly speaking, get in the way of these things happening. These outcomes determine what we do. Disciples, leaders, community, churches, neighborhoods, and networks flourishing. This is what drives us as a church. This is what drives what we do. And we are not going to do anything that could potentially take away from that. The way we spend money, where we put our time and energy, the the focus and the emphasis that we give to certain things, all of that, all of that is directed to seeing these things become real, to, to channeling the transforming power of Jesus Christ into this community, into each other, so that everybody everywhere that we touch has an opportunity to experience the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, every community of Christians, every community of Christians has some kind of an organization to come in and say the church does not need to be organized, we just need to be all organic, that, that doesn't make sense and that's not possible. Some churches are super organized and have a lot of different programs and a big framework. Some have very little. But there is always some level of organization. There's no biblical directive of what this looks like in a local church. There's no Bible verse that says, thou shalt have this many staff. 
Thou shalt have this many programs. Thou shalt meet in this kind of building. There's no biblical directive for any of those things. But our pastors, our staff, our deacons, this is the area where we seek God and use the wisdom that God has given us as we lead our church together. Because we're not just doing things to do them. We're not just doing things because somebody else said we should do them. We're not just doing things because they seem cool and and more people will like us as a church. We're doing these things here at Soma. What you experience in this community of Soma Church, we are doing because of our mission because of these outcomes that we desire to see. This is what we're about, and this is how we are moving our church in that direction. And right here is a great example of that. We gather here each Sunday morning, week in and week out, to remind each other and to rehearse the truths of our identity. We remind each other and we rehearse the gospel truth that we are people that were saved from sin and death and into a new identity and new relationship with God. In our liturgy that we read together every Sunday, in the songs that we sing, the fact that we take communion and symbolize that new identity here with each other, in the scriptures that we read and the teaching that we have, in our giving each week, this is formative for us. This reinforces what God says is true about us. We're not just doing this to have an experience or because it's what every other church in America does. We, are, we do all of these things and all of the elements of this Sunday gathering are done with the purpose of reminding us, rehearsing in our lives, getting it deep down in us. This is who we are. This is what God has said is true about us. Our missional community groups, our discipleship groups. That, that is our attempt to create and to foster and to provide space for community to happen and community to develop. These are places where we desire to see real friendships, real service, real doing ministry together happen. And so many of us have experienced that in involvement with our missional community groups and our discipleship groups. We use the language at Soma Church that we are a family of neighborhood churches, that we are not just one church, but that we are three churches spread across the city, and hopefully more as the years go on, a family of neighborhood churches. But we work together. Our churches work together to pool resources, to make decisions so that we can plant more maturing and multiplying churches, so that we can be faithful to the gospel mission that God has given us. That same mission across all three of our churches, but it's carried out differently in Broad Ripple. It's carried out differently on the near east side of downtown than it is here in northwest Indianapolis because we're seeking to bring these truths into the time and the place that we live in, the specific place that we live in in our city. 
We have equipping ministries that go on throughout the year. Different seasons of our church life, different seasons of your life create different needs. And as a church community, we want to help each other. We want to resource each other. We want to support each other. We do cohorts and classes and, and we, we, we give and make available materials that are all designed to help and equip us live this life here and do the things that God has called us to do both individually and collectively as a church. We can't do everything at once. We can't do everything that every, every one of us would want to do, but our desire is to empower you and to say, what is God leading you to do? Where is God putting a certain thing on your heart? Then how can we help you as you begin to help and resource and equip other people? And then this coming year, our priority is mission, both globally and locally. How do we better step into our community here in Indianapolis with the message and the mercy of Jesus? What does it look like for our church to begin to take steps in the direction of seeing the gospel reach the nations? Here in Indianapolis, we have people from the nations that are coming here, that are living here. How do we reach those people? How do we serve them? How do we welcome them in? What does it look like for us even in the years to come to raise up people from this congregation that will go in other parts of the world, that will take the gospel and the message and the mercy of Jesus to other nations around the world? Each of these, for lack of a better word, strategies come from a lot of prayer, a lot of seeking the face and the will of God. But I want you to know, and I speak for myself and Pastor Nate, Pastor Andrew, that we hold our church loosely. We don't, that doesn't mean we're indifferent, doesn't mean we're haphazard, doesn't mean that we're irresponsible or flippant with it. But what comes to mind is a verse from Proverbs 16, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. We see there that God has given us the ability to plan, the ability to carry out good work, the ability to connect with each other, all of these things. But we recognize that without the Lord in this, it's in vain. It's in vain. And we're not a country club. We're not a social club. We're not just getting together because we like each other and we all have everything in common because we know that's not true. But we're here because we are united under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're not the only church in this city who is either. That's why we pray for other churches here. That's why we support the work of other churches. That's why we even encourage some people to go and be a part of other churches as well. Because we are a part, Soma Church, Soma Northwest is one part of a greater kingdom work that God is doing in this city. And we are humbled by it. And we hold that loosely because we want the gospel to change everything. And we know that Soma Church cannot do everything, cannot be every place. We cannot be all things to all people. But that is why God in his grace has given this city many churches who believe the gospel and who are doing these exact same things. And we pray for them and we support them. We're not trying to be the best church. We're not trying to compete with other churches 
but we believe that this is what God has called us to be as Soma Church, as Soma Northwest, in this time and in this place. And so I don't know if that's helpful for you. I don't know if that's encouraging for you. But my desire this morning was to be clear. When we talk about what is the church, who is the church, this is who we are. And this is who Soma is, who Soma Northwest is. And we're imperfect, we're in process, and we're seeking the Lord to use us in each other's lives and to use us in this city in the ways that he sees fit. So if you have questions about this, concerns, if you're like, hey, I'm ready to go. (laughs) Where can I step in? How can I help? How can I be more a part of this vision and this mission of, of this church that I call home? I would love to talk to you about that more. We love you. Your pastors love you. We are honored to serve you in this way. And as we come this morning and we take, we're, we're having gluten-free communion for everyone this morning. So we'll have crackers and juice up here on my right and, and my left, your left and your right this morning. As we come and we take a cracker and we dip it in the juice, we do so understanding that we are doing this and we are rehearsing this with millions and millions and millions of other Christ followers around this planet. Praise God for that. People that look differently than we do, who speak different languages than we do, who have different cultures than we do, who live in different places than we do, that this is an expression of the church, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who have been saved from death and from sin and brought into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for that. So I want to encourage you and I want to invite you as a Christian this morning to come and to take this and to know what God has done for you, that you are the people of God, that you are the children of God, that you are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit this morning because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on your behalf. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your church. And it's so encouraging just to even think about these things this morning that we, that your work, that this work of seeing the gospel change everything is not on our shoulders. It's not on our ability to work hard, our, our, our wisdom, our technology, our, our, our strategic prowess. But Lord, it's through your transformative power in your spirit, through your spirit working in our lives to transform us so that we may become a transforming presence in our neighborhoods, in our networks, and to the nations. We praise you for that. We are humbled by that. And we ask that you would grow our church into maturity under you, in your direction, following you humbly, so that we may truly see the gospel change everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.